0: Instead of worrying about who these players are hiring from a future standpoint of agency in that, in that process, they should more so be worried about the amount of money these sports are generating for these prestigious universities, these TV deals, these endorsement deals, these universities are signing. For the listeners out there who want to become great at something or are working their way towards excellence, it starts with the Monday through Friday preparation to get ready for Sunday and it starts years in advance. Regardless of what level of success you're at or you know, where you're at with, within your career, there's sacrifices that have to be made, you know, and, and part of that sacrifice and working in the NBA is, the news is 24-7. Welcome to the Rayfield Wright episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 70. We're getting up there now. We're getting up there, been doing this for a long time, and. Definitely enjoying the ride. Jordan is still on vacation. Should be back any day now. He's enjoyed himself in France, Italy, and among other places based on the photos I've seen. Jordan, how's your vacation been going so far? Has it been as fun as the NCAA's week and ruling on Rich Paul? (laughs) (laughs) That was a very, very
1: professional introduction. Um, It has been more fun than that. I'm I'm coming home tomorrow, which is... uh, they sweet, you know, excited to come home and get back into the flow, but definitely uh, could use a, could always use a few more days of vacation. Um, but, you know, you also hit that kind of that like, vacation wall where you feel like you're ready. And it's been great. We're uh, we're in Capri right now, a multi-coast of Italy, which is um, one of the most beautiful places on earth. And I've definitely uh, gone heavy with the dad bot on this trip. I have been, uh, you know, you always have this plan too, right? Where you, you're going to work out. Actually, you actually work out. I did not do what I was supposed to do. I had a couple of boxing sessions, but for the most part, I just ate and drank wine. And um, I'm going to have to get back into the workout flow, too, when I get back.
0: No, it's okay. You're on vacation. That's a part of the process. When you go on vacation, you have to relieve the mind as well as the bodies, which means you have to give yourself a break. You have to kind of step away from your day-to-day activities, try to disconnect and Really, step away from the phone and, and everything that can be a distraction. And I think that's important. Even though, even though you feel like you, you feel guilty, you're eating, you're drinking, you're doing all those things, you're still getting quality sleep. Your body is, you know, receiving that sunlight, that crucial vitamin D, and you're able to feel recharged and ready to go. So, so that way, when you come back, you'll be looking forward to working out again, as opposed to dreading it.
1: Yeah, that's the key with the uh, like general idea of sustainability, right? Where you feel like now that you get back into it because you haven't overdone it and uh you know you've relaxed now your body and mind can feel like refreshed to the point where you want to you want to get back into it and you want to establish that rhythm again and i imagine for you uh, on vacation it's even more so where because you're obviously still doing something active but when you get back you're able to to get back into the flow without
0: missing too much of a beat exactly exactly when i I go on vacation here shortly about two weeks i'll be heading to europe and Um, I'll take a a break completely from basketball, no basketball. I'll watch film a little bit uh, on the plane rides and things of that nature, kind of breaking down stuff and and kind of giving my mind some work. And then I'll still continue to get some lifts in, some cardio, some conditioning, but that's just more so to stay kind of sharp, to give myself a break from uh, the day-to-day activities of vacationing so I can kind of balance out my uh, wine touring and uh, tourism. Uh, throughout the different cities while, while taking bike rides and kind of staying sharp. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, first time in Italy. So it's going to be super, Oh super man, lovely. you're going to love it.
1: It, it. It's incredible here. And speaking of wine, um, we've had quite a few samples, but I had one really special one. I don't think we're doing a wine segment today, but I did, um, I did find a, a terrific Barolo that um, I'm getting for you and, And at least because it was, uh, well, you know, I'm I'm not even going to give you the name yet because I'm going to save it for our next wine, but I do have a few bottles that, that were great. So I will, uh, you'll be enjoying that, that fruit as well soon. Maybe you'll be able to have some when you're here too, but Italy has great wine. And, and as you know, um, it's as you'll learn really fast, it's just an incredible place. So I'm excited for you and, uh, and at least to, to experience it. Um, you mentioned Rich Paul so essentially the npa issued a, a memo to agents monday and lebron took to took it to twitter saying this is the rich paul rule because it targets him uh, but it's outlining new certification requirements to represent players testing the nba draft waters uh, and the requirements include a bachelor's degree and mbpa certification for at least three consecutive years uh, and, and other uh, attributes as well and rich paul he went to cleveland state for a year and ultimately dropped out to get onto LeBron's payroll, and obviously he's been tremendously successful. Now, what was your initial reaction to to learning about this new rule that the NCAA has implemented?
0: I think it's crazy, honestly. I don't understand uh, their ability to be able to control players you know, to this magnitude. Obviously, when, when a player is about to declare and become a professional athlete, I think They no longer have nothing to do with the NCAA. They're no longer an amateur athlete, which means they should be able to make whatever decisions they feel is best for them. Obviously, you want them to make educated decisions. You want them to hire people who are qualified. But a degree doesn't define your knowledge or understanding or educational levels. It just is a piece of paper certifying that that basically you can go to class enough to graduate. You can receive a certain grade in a class to graduate. But how often do people actually use you know, their degrees in the real world. You know, that's just basically saying that you can be counted on most of the time to show up. But a lot of times you get jobs outside of your actual degree. And I think one of the kickers about the, the college system in general is that they make you take electives. Take all these classes, you waste all this money on things that you aren't even necessarily going to use uh, for <laughs> for your actual career. So I think it's a, a slippery slope, and I think it's definitely targeting rich paws, definitely targeting people. And I think there are lots of people who are qualified that that don't actually have degrees, that are very experienced in their craft, very experienced with their connections, networking, and have built great businesses without receiving a college degree at all. Think about how many billionaires there are out there in the world that didn't go to college and are running huge companies yeah yeah
1: and also what's what's really hard about this one for me is that the NCA is putting itself in a position where it's it's playing god i mean this is not it's not what college sports is all about it's and it's not what college is all about for normal students where like your fate is being controlled by and i can and i mean this in all with respect to all the athletes but the NCA is a corporation and it's a very large corporation that generates billions of dollars. Um, it'll be interesting for me to see what happens with Rich Paul. Will he take uh, some type of legal action? There's an article in, in Sports Illustrated that says uh, Paul could argue that the criteria violates federal any trust, any trust laws. Um, and obviously, again, there's other agents that this will affect. I just hate it because I feel like it'll ultimately push more athletes, CJ, into just going pro because – if they can talk to fewer people now fewer agents then it 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 makes it less appetizing to try and test the waters and and ultimately go back to school in other words let me just go pro i'll deal with the agents um the way i want to i don't have to worry about following the ncaa's guidelines for coming back to school
0: yeah i think that this rule just basically is stating that in the event that players want to test the draft waters these are the criteria they have to have for agents but if you just go pro you can do whatever you want right because you're no longer an amateur athlete so i think like what you said before is players will be more certain they want to leave in the event that they decide to leave you know during that little time period of figuring out where they potentially could be drafted getting feedback and information from agents or they'll talk to one agent who's considered ncaa certified have them kind of represent them throughout the process and then make the decision to hire their uncle, brother, cousin, friend, uh, whoever, whoever that may be that doesn't necessarily have the proper qualifications later on. So I think, I mean, it's like you said before, they're, they're stepping outside of their realm, I think a little bit in, in this case, you know, they're trying to, you know, outwit themselves in a sense, you know, but instead of worrying about who, who these players are hiring, um, from a, from a performance standpoint and, and from a, future standpoint of agency in that, in that process, they should, more, they should more so be worried about the amount of money these sports are generating for these prestigious universities, these TV deals, these endorsement deals, these universities are signing where they build 100, $150 million facilities, whether that be strength and conditioning, whether that be film rooms, whether that be theaters, whether that be dorms, whatever the case may be. And the players who are responsible a lot of times for generating those funds aren't receiving any kickback. Yeah, I mean, and that brings up a whole
1: another can of worms, which is um, paying amateur athletes, paying amateurs, and and I'm in full support of that, but this is... What's also hard about this is, you talk about performance, I mean, whether or not our listeners like Chris Paul, respect what he's doing, he's been incredibly successful. He represents LeBron, Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, John Wall, um, a whole wealth of elite NBA players, and he did it obviously his way, so... I'd be, I'm disappointed in the NCA, but honestly, I really can't say I'm surprised given its track record. I, I wonder how this will affect players again in the, in the short term and long term of, like you said, if you're a pro, you don't have to worry about the NCA and you don't have to uh, go under its umbrella. So, um, but I think this is a negative thing. I, I, I want to be very clear. I think this is a big negative, and I think it's going to have a negative impact. And, um, I'm disappointed, but not surprised to
0: say the least. Yeah, Obviously, we're not surprised because of the NCAA, the history of the NCAA, how it kind of acted and essentially pimped out players, pimped out kids for years and years and years and continues to figure out ways to take advantage of these student athletes. So I'm I'm not surprised at all.
1: The the NCAA doesn't have the the athletes, um, you know, best interests in mind. That's not what this is about. This is about. Um. This has been written all over the internet, and and I have to agree with it. It's it's about protecting its own money and its own brand, and and this is not about like making sure the players get the best advice possible. You know,
0: it's nothing to do with that. Yeah, Uh, I'm with you on that one. You talked about all the players Rich Paul represents. Uh, We didn't even mention Draymond Green. Shout out to my guy, Dray. He recently signed a four-year, $100 million contract extension with a 15% trade kicker. Obviously, the Warriors aren't going to trade him in the near future because he is a part of that core group of guys with Steph and Clay who have been there for the long haul. And um, I think it's just a part of the process, you know, for the NCAA, understand that the game is changing. The game is evolving. And the type of people that are representing players nowadays is evolving and you have to, you have to get with it. I think that's the, the biggest thing, get with it and understand that players have a right to hire whoever they want to hire, whether they're considered qualified, quote unquote, with a degree or not. What's also interesting CJ about it too, is like, you know, when you have,
1: um, you know, look at the clientele that Rich Paul has, you mentioned Draymond, but it's also, you know, Ben Simmons, one year in college, uh, LeBron, no college. Anthony Davis one year in college. So, um, I wonder how the next Anthony Davis is or the next, uh, LeBron, if there ever be one, but the next high profile players will be impacted that ultimately decide to go pro, uh, if, if, if it impacts them in a negative way, um, because, you know, Rich Paul, like, like I spent some time with him when we did the boardroom and, and he's a hustler. Like, I, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, but because he didn't have that classic, like, formal education, he really had to learn on the go, on the job. And he's an example of a new age agent um, who has found his own way in what works for him. And the NCA continues to operate at just a completely archaic and obsolete level. So um, I-, I can't be more clear on this. I, I really am disappointed all around. Uh, what-, what did you make, by the way? Before we uh, move on, what what did you make, by the way, of uh, Metta World Peace? He he said he belongs in the Hall of Fame based on his defense. The reason I bring it up is because the Hall of Fame is always tricky. You know, does this guy belong? Does he not belong? Metta World Peace is not someone I would have immediately said Hall of Famer. But, uh, you know, he he did have a hell of a defensive career, a very good career. He says when you get Reggie Miller saying he's the best defender ever, you get Kobe saying he's the greatest defender ever. Um, I wonder how much
0: validity uh, Metal World Peace has in his comments. That's a great question. And and before I answer, I just want to remind all the listeners out there we're gonna have Adrian wardjanowski coming on the pull-up pod shortly, so stay locked in. But looking at Metal World Peace's career, um, until you brought this up, I didn't even I didn't think about like him being a Hall of Famer, but he had a pretty lengthy career. You're talking about a guy who played in over 991 games. He averaged 13 points, 4 rebounds, 2.7 assists for his career, uh, 61.1 percent, 61.1 on the win shares. Obviously had some all-star years. He averaged 24.6 back in 2005 with Indiana. I think that's the year before the brawl, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Played with the Lakers, played with the Pacers, Chicago, Sacramento, and so on and so forth, but what he's basically saying is that my staple was defense. I was a lockdown defender. I was all all defensive team. I was a guy who made it very difficult for other players to score. So why should I not be rewarded for that? I think he should be considered, as all players should be considered for the Hall of Fame, based on um, their history, based on their impact on their team, and also based on their statistics. And you have to add the defensive factor in there, but is he a Hall of Famer? I'm not sure. It's up to the people who vote and decide on the committee, but if I had to base it just off of his offensive stats and based off of his career, I would say that it's going to be tough for him to be a Hall of Famer, but you just never know what people value. is whether it's championships, whether it's the defensive intensity, whether it's the accolades he won on that defensive end. I think it's hard to really understand what the voters value at this point, but I think if I had to decide right now, I would say that he probably won't make the Hall of Fame.
1: We talked about Andre Godala. I think he's got a better shot, certainly, than Artest than or Metta World Peace. Uh, more championships, um, probably a more significant offensive impact,
0: and overall playmaking impact as well as the defense. Would you um, Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree that Iggy probably has a better chance, especially since he was a finals MVP. I think that looks very good on the resume. You know, being a part of a team who won uh, – what they won three straight championships, right? And he was a part of all three of those. Um, I think – did they win three straight championships? Am I sure? No, no. Two out of three and three out of four. Two out of three and three out of four. Okay. I, I so I two out of three. three. Yeah, three out of four. Yeah, so they won, they won three out of four championships. I forgot the Cavs won one year in between. Time is really flying, and I'm going crazy. But I think the fact that it's more recent – it's still in people's minds. It'll still be in voters' minds because Ron played so long ago, obviously. Um, two very good defensive players, but the fact that he wins you know, multiple championships and the fact that it was a debate before he actually brought it up shows you that people have been thinking about it. Yeah, as we said, it's a tough decision for the people in charge of voting and making a decision on who makes the Hall of Fame you got a lot of great players. You've got a lot of good players who are on the fence. Iggy will be one of them. Ron Artest, who's now evolved into the discussion, will be someone that has talked about as, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he not a Hall of Famer? Do you include his defense? So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But someone who we think is probably going to be a Hall of Famer, Vince Carter, has agreed to a one-year deal with the Hawks, and he says it will be his final season. Really looking forward to... Seeing Vince suit up one last time uh, before he hangs it up, had a a historic career, did a lot of great things uh, in the community, obviously, historically, you know, showing the athleticism, then changing his game and evolving into a player who can do a little bit of everything, dunk, get to the cup, shoot jumpers things of that nature. And I also want to shout out my guy, UD, who's signing a one-year deal with the Miami Heat, who will make this, what, 16, 17 straight seasons with one franchise uh, besides Steph Curry. He's the guy who's been with a franchise the longest. He's the longest 10 years, 17 seasons. Then it's Steph. It was Russell Westbrook until he was traded to the Houston Rockets. So not not very often a guy plays uh, for, for the same franchise for 15-plus years. That, that tells you you're doing something right. That tells you you're a good person. You have great work ethic and have evolved into someone the team can depend on, not only on the court, but in the locker room.
1: You talked about VC. Um, quickly, with him in our tests or Metta World Peace, what was it like to guarding Vince? I mean, how explosive and, and tough has he been to guard uh, even later on in his career? But early earlier, for sure, when you guarded him your rookie year or second year. And then with Metta World Peace defensively, what type of impact did he have on you, um, CJ?
0: Yeah, Vince, he was explosive obviously not as explosive as his early playing days in those toronto days but he was still explosive could get to the cup uh could finish had what seemed like limited uh not limited what seemed like unlimited range being able to shoot you know based on you know some of the pre-game stuff you see he could shoot from half court uh effortlessly he doesn't have to force uh strain it or change his form his, his shot looks pretty st- pretty similar to a regular set shot that he would shoot during the game. But just a smart-headed guy who did things the right way and everyone seemed to enjoy being around him. And he seemed to be one who was just a fun-loving guy and a good teammate. In terms of Ron, I've always had great conversations with Ron. Not only did I play against him, but my brother played against him in China. And I remember seeing him after he played against my brother uh, my third or fourth year in the league and he was like, man, your brother is really good. He's an NBA player. I've guarded a lot of guys and he was really hard to guard. And he talked so much shit. He was like, your brother was out there talking crazy. And I loved it because he was aggressive. He wasn't afraid. He was fearless and uh, he had everything. He played just like you. And I just started laughing. I was like, that's crazy that Ron Artest, you know, who's guarded some of the best players in the world is you know, telling me that you know my brother is, is as skilled as anyone he's ever guarded because of his versatility, his ability to shoot, get to the cup, and finish around the basket. So I just thought it was cool. And then Ron and I just always had a good relationship and talked. And uh, I think based on some of the things that happened in his career, there's a different perception about him that uh, you don't see when you meet him because he's just such a humble, genuinely quiet, fun-loving dude. I was going
1: to say with, with him that there is a perception uh, perhaps – uh, with fans, but I think he has really transformed into into exactly what you said. I think he was, you know, he, he's talked about, and we, and this is really fitting with our show too, but he's talked about, you know, going into therapy and the impact it's had on him. And, and we've obviously talked a lot about mental health. Um, and so it's really cool to see him. And now he's at 39 now. Um, seems like he's the most comfortable he's ever been with himself. Ironically after his career, so I, I love to hear that and I think you're spot-on with it and He has a, a reputation certainly among players
0: as being one of the really genuine guys Right, yeah, I think I think you That was spot-on, you know perception isn't always reality So I, I was happy to see that when I met him and just realized that man like this is just a really good dude He loves the game. He works hard uh, And he's living his best life. So shout out to Ryan. All right, time for our special guest, Adrian Wojnarowski, a.k.a. Woj, a.k.a. Woj Bomb. Got a great conversation, so stay locked in.
2: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I
0: want to welcome a special guest, born in Bristol, Connecticut, went to Bristol Central High School before attending St. Bonaventure. Sports reporter, columnist, author, two children, Annie and Ben. I did a little bit of research. You graduated from college in nineteen ninety one. I was born in nineteen ninety. <laughs> just wanted to put that out there right now. Special <laughs> guest, Adrian Warjanowski, AKA Woj
3: AKA Woj Bomb. I appreciate you coming on the pull up. Podcast. CJ, it's uh good good to be here with you. I appreciate it. I am you. old. Yeah, you just made me feel even older than I already feel. If anybody can do their math, could figure out how old I am if you were if you were born in ninety one. But um yeah, I was just getting out of college and and uh it's um yeah, it's amazing how much. Here's the funny thing about this job. The players stay the same age, right? <laughs> yeah, the, true. We, we get older. That's true. And that just kind of
0: shows me how long you've been around the business, how much you've kind of evolved and changed since graduating high school. Uh, reading some of your bio, you, you worked for the Fresno B in 95. Did you picture yourself at this level, at this point, you know, by this age when you were, you know, first starting off back in back in Bristol, Connecticut?
3: No. I mean, the job I have now didn't really exist. It started to exist. There were, there were absolutely some forerunners of how I do the job, but the internet changed my job. But I mean, CJ, I just wanted to be able to make a living as a sports writer. I wanted to be right. good enough that I could get on a beat at a paper people had heard of. I could cover, at the time, colleges were a bigger beat than they are now because of uh, you know, college basketball had a higher profile because players stayed longer. It was different then. you saw colleges as a place you could stay and cover, but, you know, but to get a pro beat, that's all and and be a columnist maybe. And I got to do that at some papers, but, um, I, I honestly never imagined, um, I I just wanted to be able to make a living at it and be respected and be good at it. And, uh, what's I, I'm fortunate. I've been the beneficiary of a lot of good timing and uh, people give me opportunities, but yeah, you you don't imagine um, being able to get the opportunities that that I've been lucky enough to have. Oh, that's
0: awesome, man! I always like to
3: ask people who become extremely successful what they do, you know, how they envisioned it. You
0: know, for me as a kid, being in high school, being in college, you know, you always envision, you know, being elite, being, you know, considered one of the best at your sport. But it's always hard to envision how things turn out once they do turn out that way. So you graduated in 91. In 97, you started working for the record in New Jersey and you were named columnist of the year in 97 and 2002. So the respect was there early. You know, you were getting your credibility and people were considering you to be elite within your role in your job. But now things have kind of evolved to, to new heights. You know, it's it's to the point now to where on draft day, you know, starting a few years ago, I'm following you to see who's getting drafted where instead of even watching TV. How did, you, how did you get to this point to where you're able to get the news before everyone else to the point where if I hear rumors, I don't believe it's true unless I see a verified account of you tweeting about it.
3: Well, I mean, I appreciate it. it when I started covering the NBA for Yahoo!, it was, again, the internet changed a lot. And then Twitter changed, I think, the immediacy of it. And and I think as much as anything, like what changed news breaking and, and covering news was the mobile phone, was the cell phone. I mean, I've, I've been in the business long enough to remember, you know, you'd sit at your landline and wait for someone to call you back. And if you missed them at 4.30 or quarter to five in the afternoon, you might have to wait until the next morning when they got back in their office. So think of how much the cell phone changed, right. being able to text, uh, you know, even email, obviously, but 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 people having their phone with them. And it's like all of those things started to change it. And, um, and you saw like an, an appetite for this information. And I saw it, I think, 2010, the big three being put together in Miami changed. It changed the league, it changed the NBA, and it changed the way... Uh, we covered the NBA. And my timing, I had just gotten to Yahoo, uh, maybe two years before that. And Yahoo had this immense readership, this giant platform and audience. And so, a lot was coming together. And the NBA was a young sport. The fans were younger. They were on the internet. uh, They were getting on Twitter. And so, like, the thing started to explode. And then I don't know, you think this summer and this free agency, I, I didn't think it could elevate. And I thought this summer was as uh, incredible in terms of interest and appetite for information. And then um, it, it, it keeps escalating. It's, it's remarkable to, to watch. It's remarkable at times to be in the middle of.
0: Yeah, I think the the sport in general has evolved, Has changed. Obviously, we're making a lot more money than people have ever seen before. Contracts, you know, three years, four years, depending on who you are. You got the super maxes, the TV deals are kicking in. And the sport is evolving not only for us, but for reporters, for journalists, for everyone involved in the sport. So I think um, looking at how the game has continued to evolve, I always joke and say, you must have you must have blackmail on every agent, on every, every person involved, because you get the information before before everyone else, talk to me about the process. We, we discussed it a little bit offline. You don't have to go in extreme detail, but the process it takes to kind of prepare for a free agency like this summer.
3: Well, I would say it's a it's a conversation you are having with people three hundred and sixty five days a year, and if you are not working at it almost every single day, it's it's hard. Like the preparation you put in for when a trade deadline comes, when free agency comes, those high intensity periods where there's lots of transactions, lots of movement, all within a tight window. For me, if you've done your job, you've done your preparation, it almost feels like you're, you're on a bike and you're going up the hill. And I think your work is done before the trade deadline. It's done before free agency and you feel like your bike is starting, you get to the top and now you're starting to go downhill. That's how it should feel. If you feel like you're still pumping up the hill, Right. When free agency starts, you're probably in trouble and um and so that that's how I look at it. And so it's like anything else you do, it's like you being in a playoff game and that moment it's 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 easier if you've prepared and when you've put True. the time in and and you know it you, you kind of know it going in, you know when you're ready. Right. And that doesn't mean it's going to go the way you want, but you know, you've given yourself the opportunity and deep down, it's like any other profession, you know, when you haven't quite prepared. And there's a, there's like a pit in your stomach where you go, okay, I'm in trouble today. And I think you feel that in anything you do and you have to approach this the same exact way. There's no shortcuts. It doesn't matter. Um, it, It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it or who you think you are. If you don't prepare as hard as you did the year before, you will get your ass kicked. Yeah, that's true. I like the
0: comparison you did to, to sports in the real world, looking at how some of the elite players prepare each summer. You know, having played alongside Dame, I've seen how he changes his his work ethic in the summertime, how I change my work ethic in the summertime. I've seen the great ones like KD, Braun. They always come back with something, but they're, their ability to kind of lock in and refocus is unlike anything I've seen. So I think, you know, for, for the listeners out there who want to become great at something or are working their way towards excellence, it starts with the Monday through Friday preparation to get ready for Sunday. And it starts years in advance, like you said before. Um, the nerves thing is huge. Like, I, I don't really get nervous anymore. I get like a little like, exciting, exciting butterfly feeling in my stomach. But when I was younger, I used to be nervous because I felt like I wasn't prepared. You know, I didn't really know the scouting report. I didn't really know all the play calls Coach Terry might call or or Dame, or when I was playing with Steve Blake or Mo Williams, like if they called a, they called certain sets. I didn't really feel like I knew them as much as I should or as well as I should. So that's why the nerves would come. So that's an interesting point. You know, you pointed out you prepared so far in advance that you know you just kind of live with the results um, once they do come.
3: Yeah, and I and I think too, you're going to be for me so much of what my job is, and anybody whose job who does this, you have to make judgments in the moment. um as a reporter, you're going to make a judgment on information you're going to use that you trust, information that you're you don't trust. And in that moment, so much goes into making that decision about what's accurate, what might not be, what like 95% sure of something's not good enough. I can't live with that five percent right. of being wrong. Like you could break a lot of stories in a row. If you get a big one wrong, like that's going to stick to you. People are going to remember it and 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 rightfully so. And so uh, you need to be in a position where, um, you know, you've thought through um, a lot of and, and be prepared for a lot of different contingencies because especially when we get into free agency, um, a lot of stuff starts changing. And, you know, I've learned even covering free agency through the years, you know, what a guy thinks in, You could report in December or January that player A is really focused on leaving and going to that team, and you'd be exactly right. And you know what happens by February? He changes his mind. And then in March, he changes his mind again. And I I will tell you the player that I learned my lesson with was Dwight Howard when he was in Orlando and how I covered it. And you were right. (laughs) On Monday, you were right when you said he, he wanted to leave in Orlando. He wanted to leave Orlando. And then Wednesday, he changed his mind the lesson it taught me was do not ride the roller coaster with the player during the season. And I always say it's like anybody else, anybody in life who's faced with a big decision, you're going to change your mind. We've all been there. It's normal. And for a player, there's so much, like, if I'm choosing among a couple, they're not 30, I don't know, I'm not sure there's 30 other places I'd go work at in my business. It's probably concentrated on just a couple um, when I was younger, maybe there were, but as a player, like you can make a case for lots of places sure. that are attractive, makes sense. You could sell yourself on it and you probably wouldn't regret it. And so of course guys are going to change their mind. The dynamic of what player um, all of a sudden becomes available. The team can get them. Wh- whatever it is, is especially with free agency is not riding that roller coaster. Now that's part of sports and guys are going to a lot of what is fun about it is people can speculate and say, Hey, I think, and my job, I can't be the speculation guy. I've got to report, be right but because we have plenty of people do that. And it's a good thing. It makes, it's what keeps this thing moving. Right. Um, but I have to be able to separate myself from, um, from that and, 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 and be real factual and how, how I report. So you would say that Dwight
0: Howard situation made you better at your job. It better prepared you for the future. Um, I'm going to read one more accurately, two more. June 20th, 2019, you you were awarded the inaugural Tony Quebec Award for Media Excellence by the National Polish American Sports Hall of Fame in Michigan. So basically, you learned, you were already excellent. You learned from some mistakes. It's kind of like, looking back at my last season, I missed a game winner against Denver in the corner. It was a wide open 15-foot jump shot. I wasn't ready to shoot, kind of caught me off guard. I missed it, and I thought about it the rest of the season fast forward, we end up playing the Denver Nuggets and what would be the game deciding for us to, to go to the Western Conference Finals. And I was thinking about my failures in the past. I had missed, I've missed a lot of game winners. I've missed a lot of shots to seal a game. I've missed free throws down the stretch. I failed every way possible you can fail in basketball. So now I don't really have any fears. Nothing really scares me or I'm not really afraid of anything. So when I when I got the ball at the end of that game, I wasn't thinking about the failure. I was thinking about how that made me feel. And it was just a, a feeling I kind of you know, wanted to put behind me. And I was happy to make the shot, but I just kind of thought about how life came full circle, missed the shot against Divin in regular season. Then when it mattered, I made it. And I kind of thought about your situation, obviously, like you said, you can't be 95% right. You gotta be a hundred percent right. So that has to be tough to get something. I mean, people probably come to you all the time with stuff and you have to kind of wait, is this, is this accurate? How do I follow up on it? Um, How
3: true is this? I'll give you an example. And like, and I wouldn't say this has happened recently, but, but years and years past. There'd be like, here's a decision example. An owner is really team has a bad loss, and so maybe they've been on a losing streak, and I don't know, they blow a fourth quarter lead somewhere, and it is eleven o'clock at night, and that owner is, I'm firing, I'm firing the coach tomorrow. I've had it. This is it. Now, you've got to make a decision. Okay, you have it. He says he's firing him. Okay. But I also know what knows know what happens. He wakes up in the morning and it's, all right, cool down. Right. But he also might wake up in the morning and fire him. And those are the ones where you, you have to live with. There's a summary and say, I, I might get beat on this one. But the consequence of jumping out ahead of something, especially with firings, because people cool down. hirings. sometimes they have a rhythm and you're headed towards someone getting hired. Right. That's a, usually... Firings, like when is the right time? It's this is harder. Those are things you learn along the way, and then you learn the people you're you're dealing with. But um, the the thing here is, you have to balance your competitiveness and how competitive I am to to try to do well versus restraint. And I think in this day and age, the the most important work ethic and uh, working at it. And having a tenacity to do this job is at the very top of the list. But I think restraint more than ever is what you don't report and why. Just having restraint and not jumping the gun and not getting out ahead of something um, is an important part of this because, you know, it's a time where there isn't always, there isn't always restraint. And and I think that's, to me, that's something I always try to keep uh, not in the back of my mind; at the forefront of my mind.
0: Right, and I think people now are in the in the mindset of trying to report first and not always making sure that it's right. Like they hear a rumor, they try to get it out. So I think that the fact that you err on the side of caution, making sure, especially with firings, you're dealing with serious livelihood
3: issues to where if families and right. and 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 whatever. And that's an example. But there's lots of examples like that of uh, um, of being of having to be. Um, you know, just learning, understanding the human condition and how competitive everybody in this is. I mean, here's another one. And you, Golden State was a good example last year when Mark Spears and I were reporting on the Draymond, Kevin Durant. Now we saw what happened on the court, but then what happened in the locker room after? And you know this, CJ. That's one of the hardest things for me to decide on sometimes is I hear about a million blow-ups in locker rooms.
0: Right. They do
3: not, day. because they happen every day, like right. in some shape or form or in a practice. And how do you measure which ones are just something that blows over? And like a lot of them are, as you know better than I do, 20 minutes late, everybody's fine. Right. Like that's how, or there's sometimes though, where they're more than that and they're bigger. And it lingers. And, it, and and it's a thing that all of a sudden, well, is the team looking to suspend somebody, I remember with the Golden State thing last year, I think, I mean, and having a sense that Golden State was thinking about suspending Draymond made us think, okay, this is more than, this is something we're going to have to report on. And of course you'd saw it on the court, but how many of those come across you every day that you don't report on because you could report on one of those, there's always some shit that goes on in practice that doesn't really mean anything. And it's not uh, and the problem is, if you report on it, it's going to be it's going to be treated like it's the end of the world. Yeah. And now it's completely out of context. Holding things in context is the hardest thing to do anymore because of aggregation. Or like, come on, all the shows here we're we're taping in Bristol or in uh, New York at ESPN. And come on, all the shows are looking for that five minute segment about can these two ever get along again? It's like no, they went out to eat last night after this thing happened, but. That's the nature of this whole thing now. So looking at the draft, rewinding a little bit to
0: like draft days, how did you decide you were going to start releasing information on draft prospects? And I like how you kind of change your wording on each pick. You're like, they're zeroing in on or they're sold on
3: such and such. Yeah, that was a whole other thing once I had come to uh, ESPN. But it was 2000 and whatever my Twitter account is. I always forget the year. Hold on. let Let me look at my Twitter here. All right. So I joined June, 2009. So I joined draft night, 2009 and I was getting information. I wasn't on Twitter yet. And there were a few writers on Twitter. Um, I hadn't joined, but I was getting like draft night. I was getting trades. I was getting who teams would pick. And I was like, well, if we post it on Yahoo, if we post it on the site, by the time it's up there, anybody would look at it. It's, it's a vapor, it's gone. And, and I remember uh, Johnny Ludden, who uh, worked with the Yahoo and, and, um, and his wife now said, why don't you get on Twitter? And why don't you, um, and I said, yeah, I guess that's an idea. And I remember I went back not so long ago and I found the first tweet and I said, <laughs> I think I tweeted like, hey, Johnny Ludden and I are here. We're going to post what happens tonight. I remember at the end of the first night, I want to say I had like 2000 followers. I was like, wow, I gained some followers. I was putting out, I don't know how many picks I had. I'd have to go back and look. I had a few of them and maybe a trade or two. And then it said, okay, this seems like a place we should be. And now you had this scorecard, immediate scorecard of who broke a story. Everyone could see it. And it just took off from there. It was just more out of necessity. It's like, I have this information. How do I get it out? Let's get on Twitter.
0: That's a dope story. I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I mean, I follow you now, draft day. I was in China during this this previous draft. So I was just checking. I was like, I wonder if he's going to tweet who we're picking just so I can stop having <laughs> to follow the draft. I didn't really care about any other. I piece. mean, you
3: could, you could text you. could text I your, I should've,
0: I should've you. I should have texted you.
3: you. But no, you could text your GM. Yeah. Your president.
0: He told me, Neil had told me like three or four players we were looking at. Right. But in the middle of my workout, like I would literally like every time I shot free throws, I would go check. I'd be like, yo, we'll pick it. We'll pick his up. Because based on like who had gone on, then I
3: would know who's still left on
0: the board. That's right. You had to take a big or a wing yeah. or whatever the case may be. So and
3: Sierra Little, nobody would have seen on draft night, no one would have imagined he'd still be there. Right. I think Portland was shocked he was there. So that's one where you just, they. I don't think they ever imagined he would have dropped to that. Best available yeah. at, the, at that point. So
0: we discussed your vacation situation on, on the walk in here, um, looking at how you kind of strategically plan it, how often you can be on your phone. And I think it's interesting how our sport is like 24-7, 365. Like you basically, I'm always involved in what's going on. It's hard for me to kind of disconnect even when I'm with my fiance. It's like, I'm always on my phone. I'm always trying to follow the news. So I guess my question is, how do you prepare a vacation and what's it like to vacation when you know you're in the midst of potentially breaking news at any point in the day? Uh, you should have my
3: wife and kids on for this answer. It's not, I don't think it's particularly pleasant. I don't think I'm an enjoyable person to be on vacation with. Uh, And it's not always breaking news. Like we're going to leave. So Friday, we're going to go out West for, I don't know, eight or nine days, 10, nine days. And there may not be any stories that break, but the phone's going to ring and there's going to be people who you deal with all year long, who you can't just shut off from people who might have a question or trying to figure out something or want to talk through something. Right. Like you have to be available just like you hope they're available to you. And so, now there's people you say, hey, listen, we're out to dinner, or we're in wherever, and oh yeah, 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 call me back in the morning and it's fine. But there's sometimes there's just calls you have to take and people and relationships you have that you've gotta you've gotta honor. And so that becomes a little bit I think when I'm like on the level of taking grief, if it's a like Saturday we were in Rhode Island for the weekend and got wind of the Draymond Green and extension. And it's one thing when you're breaking a story, but when it's just somebody who's calling to BS, that's where you sort of get like the, like eye rolls, like, what are you doing? And it's, but there's times you just have to be accessible. That's what takes up a little bit of time, but I'm not complaining. I've got it great. Um, I get to go on a great vacation. I'm fortunate. I, I, and I don't, listen, my, my dad worked in a factory for 30 plus years uh, my brother's an automobile mechanic you know I had every odd job you could have as a kid um, that said to me you better go to college because you can't do anything else like I mean I cleaned uh, you know toilets at a middle school scraped gum off the bottom of the desk with razor blade I worked um, cutting grass in cemeteries I've had those jobs like I know what real work is and so it's fun to talk about some of this stuff but I don't lose perspective on, how lucky I am to get right. to do exactly what I want to do. I can't imagine doing anything else. I don't aspire to do something else. And so I never want it to sound like complaining right. uh, because I've been fortunate to never really have a real job. Like, uh, I, and and plenty of people do. And and uh, so, yeah, I I never want to feel like I'm grousing about it, but you know, it's... Uh, it, I I love every part of it. You have to accept every part of your job and uh, you have to be able to, you know, work at the things that are, you know, there's parts of it that you have, that you don't love as much, but you have to always work at and not shortcut and, and being on the phone is one of them. Yeah,
0: I think that's true. And I think I wanted you to tell that story so people understand that regardless of what level of success you're at or, you know, where you're at with, within your career, there's sacrifices that have to be made, you know, and, and part of that sacrifice in working in the NBA is the news is 24-7, so you have to pick and choose when to be on your phone. Like, I I almost had to take my phone. My phone goes on, basically, do not disturb from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., right? So during, like, free agency when we're negotiating contract situation, I have to like change my favorites. I had to add Neil to my favorites, (laughs) add Sam to my favorites, because otherwise it's just mom, dad, brother, fiance, no one else, no one else can get a hold of me until 9am. So I'm like, "Eh, and in case something happens, (laughs) I need to be accessible. I had to make changes, you know what I'm saying? But that's my way of trying not to always be on my phone at night. I just watch sports. And if something happens, it happens to where I'm able to remove myself because otherwise I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm t- I'm on the group chat like all night. And it becomes a time where it's like, you never really shut, I never get to shut off. Like yeah. I have to kind of shut my mind off at some point. And,
3: and you have to. And like, I always feel like with a season in the course of a day, it's probably important too. And there's certain times of the year where you absolutely can't, but I do always feel like you have got to find a way to separate the end of one season to the start of the next and I'm still sort of in my mind I'm still finishing up I feel like we're just finishing the cycle of last year and we'll go away like I said for you know eight or nine days and then we'll go away again a little bit uh, around Labor Day and then when we come back from Labor Day weekend I'll feel like I, I put last year to bed I'm on to the next year but if you if it's and I remember years where it was a blur, I think my first year at ESPN, I never felt like we, we didn't go away really, and right. it felt like a blur. And all of a sudden, you hit November and you go, "Wow, like I, I've got this long hill to go the rest of this year," and I never really, and that that's not healthy. That's not healthy, and uh, nice. and so it's a good um, it, it's it's a good reminder to find a, 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 an ending point and, and then a little bit of another starting point.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't want to keep you too much longer. I just got to ask any advice you have for young journalists in the business. I, I have my CJ's press pass. I, I do a little bit of mentorship for young journalists to basically show them exactly what it's like to cover sports and to be involved in this world because it's different for everybody and there's different layers. Like we're doing a podcast right now. There's people who are behind the video. There's people who are actually recording physically doing yeah. that type of work. So what type of advice do you have? for? Yeah,
3: your, your program's girls? remarkable. I always said like you could have... You you know if you if you didn't play in the NBA you'd be doing my job better. You're, you're the only NBA player who actually thought about maybe have been like a beat writer, right? Like you could have yeah, I was probably went towards that that <laughs> you avenue. Would've I would have made it to the NBA and something. You would you, you <laughs> would have been lights out. You would have been lights. I'm glad you're on the court. Uh, I the best advice to me especially um, in this day and age is you you've got to read. You've got to write. And it doesn't matter what you're going to do, whether you want to be on air or off air, you want to be a sports editor, a writer, an editor, you want to be on air. The, the ability to write and express yourself is going to be important and to read a lot. And to, it's a craft and to treat it like a craft. And you know, I always get asked like, how do I get to ESPN or Yahoo or um, wherever? And it's like, at a young age, I said, I I don't know. Like, I worked in Waterbury for four years. I worked in Fresno for two and a half years. I worked in Northern Jersey for another nine years. Like, I don't know the fast path. Um, And I'm glad I didn't have it. Uh, I'm glad um, that the path I took was the path I took. I mean, no one ever heard of me until I was in my mid thirties. I mean, nobody really knew who I was. And, but you know what? Like, I learned covering high schools. I, I still say the hardest thing you will ever do in this business if you came up the way I did and a lot of my contemporaries. Like we all covered high school football. There's nothing harder than covering a high school football game on a Friday night in the rain, and the mud, and trying to find a phone that works and coach, you know, team gets beat 35 to nothing, but you've got to interview that losing coach and he just wants to get on the bus. You have to learn to think on your feet and finesse, get that guy off the bus and get him to be able to learn to talk. And I think what I worry about a little bit is What's been lost in the way we communicate is so much communication is text message. Nobody's talking face to face. And that is a big part of learning how to talk to players, coaches, executives, city councilmen, um, uh, school board, wh- whatever you're covering, um, to be able to learn t- to get people comfortable with you, to help them to trust, to uh and, and to be able to get information and to be able to build a relationship, I, I think in this day and age, we all see it, it, it it's harder. But I think those, the, the people, the young people who can continue to uh, learn those fundamentals, I think are going to do really well. No, that's great advice. And I appreciate you sharing that. I think
0: one thing that my brother and I have always talked about is when you have to work really hard and really get it out the mud, as we kind of say, in order to succeed, you appreciate it that much more. I think that the path I took, the path Dame took, the path Steph Curry took, Kent Bazemore, uh, George Hill, you know, all those players who had to go to mid-major schools or even, you know, Isaiah Thomas being drafted drafted last. I think you appreciate success and your work ethic and mentality is a little different when when you had to really, really prove who you are and answer questions over and over and over again.
3: Yeah. And I think you are less apt, like, you are less apt to do something to screw it up because right. you can do the one thing. Like, if it's come easy and you think it's always going to come and it's always going to be there and you're owed it, you're enti- like, you are more apt sometimes to just do something reckless or to do something that puts it all in jeopardy. The guys who have fought. And, and it took a long time, you know what you put into it. And yeah. I, I think you're less apt sometimes to just do, I mean, every day I wake up and you have lots of goals. One of them is don't screw this up. You've got a great thing going here. Don't just, there's a million ways you can screw up having the opportunity that I have or that you have. And you just say, like, don't do something stupid. Right. And I think those who, ha- who have worked their way up um, I, I think sometimes you're more acutely aware of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the paranoia has always been there for my
0: brother and I. We've always said, stay paranoid. Always understand how you got here and know that there's somebody that wants exactly what you have and yeah. it's working yeah. they hard will, to get it.
3: They will open up a whole new can of you or me. Like they will. And and you're right. Like there's a, there's a line down the street and around the corner and rightfully so. And like, you've got to fight for the thing. Um, you've got to fight for it every day and you've got to respect the fact that Like, no matter what you've accomplished, you are not owed anything. you got to work again for it today. Exactly. And I appreciate you. I don't keep you. I keep you no longer, man. I appreciate you coming. This is great, CJ. Thanks for having me. No problem. Is there anything else you
0: want to say to listeners out there? Anything you want to get off your chest before we uh, go record your pod? Well, listen,
3: I am honored to be on the award-winning pull-up podcast, Esquire Magazine. See, you can get an Esquire for having a top 15 sports pod, which you were... uh, announced earlier today. So congratulations on that. that man. You Thank can get it you can get an Esquire in a uh sartorial layout, probably, right? You dress, you get an Esquire. <laughs> so you, you can get in you could <laughs> get in, in multiple ways. So I'm um, uh, I'm I'm impressed. Uh, but no I, I appreciate having me on Siege. No, I appreciate you man. And as I always say, let me know if you hear about
0: my name and any rumors. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. That's a wrap. Another episode is done. We appreciate all our listeners out there tuning in faithfully. wish Jordan a safe flight back to the States. Hope you had a great time. It looked like a great time. You're coming back to some rainy weather here in New York City, so hopefully you can bring some sunshine for the rest of the week. <laughs> I'm looking forward to my kids camp in Canton, Ohio, starting today. Two-day clinic It's gonna be a great time got some great guests coming up next week so really looking forward to that as well you can catch us on apple radio.com backslash pull up spotify or wherever you wherever you get your shows <laughs> <laughs> don't forget to pull up